0: Hey, guys. It's Pam. Uh, just a quick note for you. This conversation was recorded with Ashlyn Harris prior to the recent report that uncovered abuse of many kinds against the National Women's Soccer League in October. Hello, everyone. I'm Pam Druckerman, and this is Tell Me What You Really Think. It's a show where I sit down with innovators and changemakers to talk about these unsettling and chaotic times we're living through, to say the least. When it feels like we're both progressing and regressing all at the same moment. And the role the media could or should play. These are big personalities making bold statements. Don't worry, we're not taking ourselves too seriously. That brings me to today's special guest, someone I'm lucky enough to call one of my friends, soccer player and activist Ashlyn Harris, who helped lead the recent historic victory securing equal pay for the U.S. women's soccer team. She's a two-time World Cup champion among a long list of awards, Including one I can barely pronounce. Two time, now I'm gonna, Ashley, I'm gonna make you say this. Conca- <laughs> what the, f- what is that? Concaf. Conca calf champion and a three time, she believes, cup champion. She's currently the goalkeeper for Gotham FC, the National Women's Soccer League. She's moved to Jersey, which makes me very happy because she's much closer to where I live and that's relatively new after, you know, years and years of playing for the Orlando Pride, right? Yes. But, you know, you don't feel that much pride about Orlando yeah. anymore. You're just all jersey all the time, right?
1: I mean, I'd like to be all
0: New York. That's that's what we want. That's what we want. Yeah, that's what we want. Well, um we're going to we're going to get into that. I'm going to have you fully converted. Before I go any further, I just I thought I'd give you the chance to tell our listeners how we met. Do you remember? Of course.
1: After the 2000, was it the 2019 World Cup? Yeah. We did the Condé Nast Summit, Uh and I was a speaker, and we met after a panel of, I think it was actors, actresses, sports, all the things. Uh Yeah. And we met outside, and we, like, hit
0: it off and kept in touch. First of all, you were on our panel. You were brilliant. You were what everybody was talking about. But I remember we were standing outside, and and you were, like, in deep and meaningful conversation with Anna Winter. I was kind of standing off to the side, and there was, like, some conversation about Tom Brown happening, Mm -hmm. which went on to be, uh, I think, a consistent theme in our friendship. But I was super psyched to meet you then, and ultimately, I think what— A lot of people know about you, in addition to now me, is that you kind of live in this like 1% in terms of performance. And I remember that was something you talked about on our panel and what it means to live and breathe the 1% and to, quote unquote, be a a high performer. And we're going to talk about that today, but there's so much going on right now. I want to note that you're you're here today primarily to discuss women's equality in sports, but we're not going to get out of here without touching on all the things equality. Because how could we not? Like LGBTQ rights, women's rights, basically everything our government is trying to take away or limit at the moment. Mm. So, I want to start out actually talking about something positive that happened this year a big win in the battle for women's equality in the world of women's soccer. Yes. So, for a second, can you just give our listeners your story and a little background or context on this battle? I think people hear about women's equality in sports, but I don't think they have any clue what that actually means or just how unequal it has been. So, if you could just kind of give us a little synopsis of what was going on and what role you played or have been playing in this process.
1: Yes. So, I've been playing for the US women's national team for quite some time now, uh, over 11 years. And after winning the 2015 uh, Women's World Cup, we just started to notice that a lot of our standards in terms of how we were treated, marketing dollars, hotel, how we traveled, all of these things that should be an equal right between the men and women just weren't there. So we were staying in not so great hotels. We were flying commercial flights. We were playing at really poor venues, you know, turf fields that aren't FIFA grade, uh, which means just not like up to standard. And we weren't being marketed the way we should be. We were selling out stadiums for quite some time. And I think it got to a point we were making U.S. soccer so much money. And kind of how we felt at the time was the men were riding our coattails and we were carrying the federation. And we weren't being treated equally to them. And I think we just got to a point where enough was enough. And we were tired of it. And we were tired of them making all this money off of us. And we didn't feel like we were fairly being compensated. And it was a really tough decision because, you know, think about it. Here's like a really high moment. You just won the FIFA Women's World Cup. You wait your whole life to do on the biggest stage. And we just filed a lawsuit against our employers and we were scared. We didn't know what that meant. You know, were they would they retaliate? Would it become worse environment for us? Would they fire us? But we knew we'd be stronger in numbers. So we all just like put our head down and we said, this is important for women in general across all industries to fight for what they deserve and equal and fair treatment for equal work. And that's kind of how it started about Six, seven years ago now.
0: Well, you know, for our listeners, I just, uh, here's what I think is totally fascinating, that um, the average female soccer player is making around 35000 a year versus the average male making almost a half a million dollars a year, right? Right. You know, I grew up an athlete. Uh, I think I've talked to you about my days on the basketball court. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's funny, like, first of all, I wasn't good enough to go pro. But, like, I, you know, th- this kind of acceptance that the women kind of had, which is that, like, you know, I'm going to take this as far as I can, but I'm not going to not gonna be able to make a living. And that's always just been kind of accepted. And I just also want to call out another stat, which I think is insane, and if you look at basketball it's actually even worse in the NBA versus WNBA, where you have uh, you have a player like you know, and I love Steph Curry, but his salary is what forty six million dollars uh, versus mm-hmm. you know like a baller such as like Diana Taurasi, who's making about I don't know a half a million dollar. I mean, it's just insane the difference. And so what I think is so interesting about this moment in time is that you guys didn't just accept that. That wasn't like I mean, obviously it's something you've had to deal with for your entire career. But it, it, it's reached a bit of an inflection point. I think the assumption has always been, well, the men are the ones that are making all the money. Like, Yeah, no, it's absolutely not the case. And I think in
1: the lawsuit, that's like really what you started to see. When you talk about jersey sales, right? Women pass the men by far. We've broken every single number about who holds the most jersey sales. We had sold out stadiums after sold out stadiums after sold out stadiums. All the numbers were there to show that these women were making U.S. soccer money. The numbers have been there for quite some time. And now you're seeing, wow, when you invest in these
0: women, Mm -hmm. look what the numbers are. Numbers don't lie. Well, let me ask you this question because the reality is women are highly competitive and they're top performers now. But have they always been and we just didn't see it? Or have women actually gotten more competitive you know because we're more supportive of building their skills and their careers like what what part of this is true it's not just about women supporting women i'm
1: so tired <laughs> of hearing people say that like right. we need men supporting women men showing up to the game. We need men taking their kids to the game and being a part of this change. And that's what you're seeing. And it's not comparing men's sports to women's sports. It's a completely different game, even though it's the same sport. And once you start to understand, like, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of beauty in it and watching it. And it's not like, oh, this is just trash. You know, this is just women running around. It's a charitable event. Now people are seeing like, wow, these women are actually really good and is really
0: entertaining and enjoyable to watch. So how did you and your like your allies, your teammates, your friends, like, how did you get this win? Do you think the media helped to support your cause in any way? How do you feel like you got from where we've been, where women have been all this time, to this kind of really important moment in history for all these women coming behind you now?
1: Well, I just think women now have been put in positions you know, in our world. So Cindy Parlo Cone, who is the president of U.S. soccer, is an ex-female player. So we're just getting rid of all of these, like, no offense, older white men that is really limiting us and putting us and placing us in a box. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. And now when we continue to have diversity and have younger women who are understand the change that needs to happen. We can't keep going through lawsuits after lawsuits and we need to at some point collectively come together and be like, yeah, this is what they deserve and we're going to pay these women what they deserve because they're the best in the world. And I think Cindy came in and was like, you guys were doing this all wrong. These are the most powerful, influential women in the world at their sport. Mm-hmm. They are not going to back down. So we need to start listening. And I think once they started listening and understanding, like, it's either this, you're going to move forward, or we're not not—we're going to keep butting heads because this is not what we want. It's what we deserve. And it's two totally different things I because it's that. equal. Yeah, it's equal work. We're doing the same things. We're sacrificing the same things.
0: It, it it kind of comes down to just, like, disparity. So, and it comes down to, like, fairness at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this question. Um, and, you know, as your friend, I kind of feel like I know the answer, but I, I want to go a little bit further. Like, what does this win mean for you personally and professionally? Because your ability to reap the benefits of this win is 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 probably not great, given that you're uh-uh. where you are in your career. So, like, what does this mean to you? And Given that you know that answer, like, how does that affect the way that you feel? Well, clearly, we both know that I'm not going to
1: benefit from this change. So now that we've won and we've moved forward in the CBA agreement of equal pay, I'll never get to see
0: those numbers or those winning bonuses or... Doesn't retroactive come into effect here? Like, why wouldn't you see the benefit of this?
1: There is back pay. So I'm going to be honest. There's a $24 million back
0: pay. Yeah, not going just to you.
1: No. Exactly. That's going to a handful of people. It's something I like completely am not disgruntled about it at all because I know there are so many women who paid it forward for me to be sitting in this seat to even be able to consider soccer a profession. There are so many women who fought for my rights to be able to do what I love. So I understand like sometimes it's my turn. So These women at my age don't have to worry about what's next. A man in my position, a two time world champion, I've won at every level. I'm 36. I should not be worried about what my next move is because of financial reasons. I should be comfortable and I'm not. But I'm hoping that A, these younger kids don't have to work five jobs like I've had to do. I mean, I hustle. I make all my money outside of soccer. I want them to just focus on their job, focus on being the best player they can possibly be without having to market themselves and sell themselves to, it's exhausting.
0: Yeah, I mean, the reality that, you know, at 36, at the height of your career, that you have to think about your next career when all the other men in your position are thinking about retirement. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of what I love about you, but, like, how are you not a little bit, like, bitter about that? It's unbelievably selfless to work so hard on something that you know you will not see the benefit of. What goes through your mind as you think about that? And you're right. I mean, you are hustling. You are thinking about what's next. And so I'm, I'm wondering how you can do both and how you have the energy for both, quite frankly. Because truthfully, Pam, I I turn anger into action because I
1: want something better for my child. I want something better for my daughter. I want to create a better place. Even like Allie and I, my wife say this all the time, we want to leave soccer better than we found it. And that's also like our LGBTQ plus community. That's women being an activist in general. Like I turn anger into action because like that's just I'm just wasting energy. You know, I always say how you do anything is how you do everything. There's no coincidence that I, like I talk about a 1% or my mentality, the way I flow through life. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. I don't do anything half-assed.
0: If I'm in, I'm in. (laughs) I mean, you approach style that way. You approach everything that way. Let's go back for a minute because I want to go back to the beginning for a minute. Like, you know, how you kind of got to this place where you're turning – anger into action or how you ended up at the 1%? Because listen, let's go back for a moment and how you first got into the sport of soccer. So can you give us like, you know, a little bit of your personal story growing up? I think people want to know how you became you. What were the defining moments of your childhood? How did you even end up on the soccer field? And is this something that like you kind of knew that you wanted to do from the very beginning?
1: Yeah, so I came from a family that, you know, had its problems. You know, my parents never they were high school sweethearts they were there was really turbulent times when i was growing up they fought a lot and soccer became my safe haven it was my place where i felt free i felt safe i was out of the house i didn't have to hear the fights i didn't have to feel the tension i could just let my anger out in a healthy positive way where i could just be free and i put myself in the most competitive environments. That was what excited me. So I always played with boys. And every day, it was an opportunity for me to be tested. And I loved to, like, since I was a kid, I just loved to feel uncomfortable. If I was skateboarding, I thought I was Tony Hawk.
0: That's just, like, how I was built. (laughs) Do you call that, like, confidence? Or is that, like, you are missing the fear gene? Like, because I, I do think that a lot of kids, you know, don't have that self-worth or that confidence. Like what you just said about, you know, skateboarding, like that would scare the shit out of somebody else. Like, is that, like, <laughs> did you start that way or is that something that kind of came over time? Well, I think what happened was,
1: is I had an older brother. My brother was very large. He was much bigger than I was. Like if I was going to be with him and fit in, yeah, I had to like play hard. I didn't want to be dead weight. I didn't want to be like the last person picked. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. Chris's little sister, you know? So like I had to hang. So I was like fighting for my
0: life so I could be around my brother. From the very beginning, like, did you know you were good? And like, why soccer? I mean, you could have played basketball. You could have, you know, ran track. Did soccer come to you or did you actually go out looking for it? I played basketball. I played baseball. I surfed.
1: I skated. I literally would do anything to be out of my household. So I loved being outside. I never had the money as a kid to have Nintendos or we didn't have computers. So like if I had to type a paper, I had to walk to the public library because like my family didn't have the money for me to sit down on a computer and type out my like essay. So I just learned at a really young age that if you like wanted to be successful or you wanted to do something,
0: you had to go do it. But like as you started to spend more time and realize you were you actually had some sort of gift in soccer, like what did your goal become after that? Was it playing competitively? Was it playing with the boys? Was it getting a college scholarship? Like what what did that look like for you at that time?
1: So I was in eighth grade and I started to get college handwritten letters to my house and I was playing for U-18 teams when I was 13 and 14 years old so they just thought I was going to college. So when I started to get handwritten letters, I was like, this is my ticket out. So if I like really focus and do what I needed to do, this was my ticket. So at the time no one in my family had a college education. no one completed college it wasn't even like I knew my parents couldn't afford college. Like, this is going to be my ticket out to really make something of myself. Like, I saw the struggle, and it was so painful for me. Like, I'll never forget this moment. So my parents went through a really tough time because my dad was in a boat accident, and he was hurt pretty badly. And my parents, you know, my mom was working two jobs, trying to, like, make enough money. And I just remember being in, like, we were on food stamps at the time, and I just could feel my mom's like embarrassment of paying her groceries and food stamps. And it made me feel embarrassed. And now like when I think back, I'm like so proud of how hard my parents worked and how difficult it was. And I never went without. So it was like those little moments instead of feeling sorry for myself or my mom or all the things, I was like, I just got to work harder than everyone else. Like if I'm really going to do something, I got to work harder.
0: And I did. Do you remember who, like, who sent you the first letter? Like, what, do you remember the first handwritten letter from what college? No, but I I can remember one really funny one. I got a handwritten letter from Harvard,
1: and my grandmother hung (laughs) it. I brought it over to my grandmother's house because she, you know, was a big part of raising me, and I put it on her refrigerator. It was like a good laugh because you know i i struggled as a kid like i i had learning disabilities i really struggled with passing my standardized test i was put in different classrooms alternative classrooms to help with my reading and writing so like it was a running joke but it was also like watch i'm going to look at that every single day and i'm going to make sure That I have the grades because it's one thing getting letters and getting scholarships. You've got to meet certain standards in terms of your GPA, your SAT, your ACT, all the things. And that was the hardest part for me. So it was constantly a reminder of like, I need to get my shit together or I'm not even going to be able to seize this opportunity. But I will always remember that Harvard one.
0: This is Tell Me What You Really Think with Ashlyn Harris. I mean, I think it's so interesting too because I think people make assumptions about what it takes to make it in whatever kind of relevant field. But I don't. I think people just assume, like, oh my god, you know, Ashlyn just she's a baller. She's always been a baller. Nothing was ever hard. Like, it was smooth sailing the whole time. I don't think they realize the amount of like work and energy and focus that it requires. And most people aren't built for that. And I don't know if you realize that. Do you think that? The challenging times kind of contributed to your mindset of, like, I need to pull myself up. It's going to be up to me to find a path. Like, if you had had a different childhood, like, would you have been a World Cup champion? Do you think that you would be you without all the challenges that you had getting to this point? I think the biggest thing for me,
1: Pam, I was just not scared to fail Mm. because I already saw failure all the time. Like, I saw my parents' marriage fail. I saw how the money was failing their marriage and causing conflict. Like, you know, I had so many doors shut on me as a kid that I just was like, I'll find another way.
0: I was just going to say, are you afraid to fail now? No,
1: I failed my whole career. Like, I literally <laughs> failed at every turn.
0: I, I, it's you've made, totally it's failed. Made me
1: who? It's made me who I am, though.
0: Give me an example of that. What does that mean? You failed. You are. You are. I. Life- I've, I've failed in
1: relationships. I've failed in making teams. Hmm. I have failed in being a mom or in my marriage. Or I'm not perfect on the field. I've made bad mistakes. Like that is my key learning moment. That is it. What am I going to learn from this moment? It's really been the best part of my success story is my failures.
0: Hmm. It's kind of, you know, inspiring to hear that. You know, if we were to just for a minute kind of fast forward, there's only like one other person that I might like more than you, and that is your wife, Allie. So you're married to Allie Krieger, who is a fellow soccer player um, and Olympian two-time World Cup champion fellow Gotham teammate, and you met her in 2010, is that right? Correct. Okay, and you guys married in 2019 mm-hmm. in, honestly, the most gorgeous wedding ever. You were featured on Vogue.com, by the way, which is how I know that. And your wedding video has been viewed over a million times. Yes. And you've yes. both graced the cover of Allure, which is uh, one of the Condé Nast brands that we have, which I'm super psyched about. It was a beautiful cover. During the pandemic, you guys thought you know what you need to add to all of this is a baby, right? Because you just didn't have enough going on. So (laughs) then came Sloan. And then uh, after that, because you still didn't have enough going on, you decided to relocate from Florida (laughs) to uh, New York, which, again, I told you made me very happy. So let me just, you know, go on to say, first of all, Allie, wife, teammate, how do you guys do that? How do you guys kind of navigate both wife and teammate? And do you guys fight? At all about that?
1: We actually never fight. We have really, really great communication. That is something that has kept our relationship intact for a really long time. Like, our job is really hard. The air is very thin, it's very competitive. So, usually, we have a lot of like grounding rules about. You have the car ride after training and after a game to vent and get everything out. But when we walk through the door, like, soccer is no longer relevant. We do not speak about soccer in this home. When we walk in this home, we are about family. We are about substance. And that is, like, very, very important to us. So we know how to separate the two. And don't get me wrong, it took time. But we've just been in a really good place where it just makes it easy to kind of navigate this work relationship plus, like, our, our personal life.
0: Is there any kind of, and I know you don't talk about it in the house, but, like, when you're on the field, is there any competitiveness? Is, I mean, there, first of all, teammates have that to a certain extent. You're like, oh, that was, like, a shitty player. Like, that was a horrible game. Like, do, do you guys speak to each other that way? For sure, but you've got to know, like, you know
1: your partner so well, and you know when you need to be, like, pretty harsh and blunt and honest. But you also need to know when to lift them and when to kind of support them. And I I need to make sure that there are times when she needs her wife and there are times when she needs her teammate. And that's my job to figure out that line.
0: And I had mentioned you guys met in 2010. um, And I know you got married in 2019. But when did you like officially start dating? And did you tell everybody or were you guys kind of like you didn't want anyone to know because you were, you know... Teammates, etc.
1: Yeah, like, we hit it off. We were friends for, you know, quite some time. We were playing for different teams in different cities. And, you know, she was going through injury at one point. So... We were always there by each other's side, and, and our relationship just continued to grow and blossom. But we did keep it quiet because we're two very professional people, mm-hmm. and we never wanted to make anyone feel uncomfortable. We never wanted to push our personal life like onto the team, and that was really important for us. So we were definitely very professional and quiet about it until about 2019, we came out publicly publicly. And we told our team we were going to be doing this. And we just wanted to bring our th- our authentic selves to the table and bring our truth. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like we were just giving people half of us mm-hmm. because we didn't talk about it. You know, after that, like our life completely changed. And Were you guys both out? Uh, not really. I mean, we weren't publicly out. We didn't say it, but I mean, it was like pretty obvious.
0: Right. I just wanted to ask before, you know, we go much further. I mean, listen, you have you still have a house in Florida and you have now um a residence in New York and so you're kind of straddling both places. Given the the LGBTQ plus side of your being, how do you feel about what's going on with the don't say gay law? And what does this mean as you think about your own family and raising your daughter? Does this feel like, you know, Florida may not be the best place for you? Again, I'm trying to also just, you know, get you to stay in New York permanently. But in all seriousness, now, do you think about that? What do you think of this law? How are you personally dealing with it? And how does that change, you know, how you think about next steps? It's so hard. It's my home
1: state, you know? Like, this is the place that gave me everything. And it's so hard to see what's happening in this don't say gay bill. I'm so shocked by it. It's insane. I'm hurt by it. I'm angry. But I think it would be me neglecting my community by saying, oh, I'm out of there. Because there's a lot of kids that are still there that have no choice, that can't leave, who need a voice, who need someone to fight for them, who needs someone to see them and show up for them. So even though I'm not in Florida... I will be back and I will be fighting like hell to make sure those kids feel safe, supported, seen, and can be out and truly express who they are, where they come from, if they have families that look like mine, if they have two dads, whatever the case is, like, We need to fight. We need people going back there and showing that like love is love and everyone deserves the freedom to be who they truly want to be. So yeah, am I pissed? I'm absolutely mad. Do I feel disrespected for how much I've done for that place, holding every key to every city I've been in in Florida? I'm hurt by it, but I know there's so much work that has to be done. And I'm willing to do the work. And these conversations happen all the time at my dinner table with my wife and I. Like, if we don't do it, who will? I'm hammering all my representatives. I know my mayor, Buddy Dyer in Orlando, and he knows the way I feel about this situation. So it's tough.
0: It's almost shocking. It's almost like it's almost, you know, in a way, it's not shocking, right? Because as many rights as we have and when I say we, there's lots of people that came before you and I that fought for, mm-hmm. you know, our marriage equality rights that didn't happen that long ago, by the way. I think it was 2015. And what's interesting about Florida and, and the reason why I brought it up but to your point, like, I know it's it's near and dear to you because of your upbringing and to my wife as well because of her upbringing. And she would say, like, you know, the average citizen in Florida isn't like this. This isn't what my family and friends are like. This is not how they feel. This is not how they think. And it just feels like highly targeted and highly discriminatory and highly loaded for no positive reason, Mm -hmm. no positive outcome. Mm -mm. You know, so there's an aspect of that that, to your point, makes me feel really badly for the kids that are in Florida. But I also wonder, like, what is it that when you say I want to go back to Florida, and I want to fight? Mm -hmm. Like, what does that look like? Like, how can we actually create action against that? You know,
1: m- maybe eventually I run, I start running for some types of positions where my voice can be heard. I love that. You know, where I can make actual impact, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, that's something on my mind. But honestly, there are a lot of people that are fighting in our corner there, you know, so we have to hold tight to that. But I'll tell you what, Pam, one thing I know that I am so proud of to see so many kids in high school have those walkouts about this don't say gay bill. When these kids, I mean, these kids are woke. I didn't know about voting when I was in high school. Like politics weren't even on my mind at that age. I was a kid. I was having fun. I was going surfing. I was hanging out at parties. These kids are woke. (laughs) Yeah,
0: they When they
1: can vote, these people are in trouble. And I can't wait for it because I love their fire and their passion going into like meetings where they can speak their mind about gun violence and gay rights. Like these kids aren't messing around and I'm like here for it. And we need more people supporting our community and lifting our community. I really am hopeful and excited for what's to come in the future.
0: But do you think like our federal government is doing enough to support our rights. As you think about, you know, uh, marriage equality just passed in the House. Mm-hmm. We're wondering if it's going to actually make it to the Senate floor. By the time this airs, a decision might have been made. But like, what is your? If if you had a crystal ball, what do you, what do you think is going to happen here? I'm not happy about a lot of things. I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy
1: about the Roe versus Wade. I'm not happy about a certain group of people who are putting laws into action who don't represent the whole. We just need the right people in office who represent the new, the new, the new, the norm, not the old. I just feel like there's so many freaking old people still in office set in their ways. Yeah. We yeah. need to get them out. Just this is showing the importance of putting the right people in positions to make like us safe. Like I want my community to be safe. I want my trans kids to feel protected and safe, but I can only control like what I'm doing to show up for my community. And that's right now really just continue being an activist, continue talking about these hard conversations, continue to call yeah. you know, my local representatives and freaking hammer them about the things I believe in and ask how I can help. What are the things I can do to lend my voice for communities that don't have one? Like these are
0: the things that I can only control. So that's just kind of what I'm doing. And there's so much to fight for right Right now. It's like, how do you even prioritize all the things, right? Like there's LGBTQ plus rights. There's women's rights. There's contraceptive rights. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, there's just so many different, I don't know, it feels like headwinds. Are you able in your own mind without multiple drinks in your hand, able to (laughs) absorb all of this and then prioritize it in your mind in terms of how you're going to spend your very valuable time and voice Like, I really feel like this is what drives me.
1: Like I, when I lay my head down at night, like these are the topics and the conversations that drive me. And I'm so grateful for soccer because it's given me this massive platform that people want to listen to the things I have to say. So it's really important for me to educate myself and keep evolving. So I'm saying the right things and I'm not going to be able to fix everything overnight. And my job is to really just talk about it so I can educate people that like, I'm no different than the straight couple in random, I don't know, northern Florida. Like, just give me a chance. Like, sit down. DeSantis, let's sit down. And I've been saying this. Let's sit down in the same room and let's have some really hard
0: conversations. I don't think he could handle you, by the way. If you get into that room, please invite me to be a fly on the wall because I'd love to see how that. In fact, I will join you in that conversation. I I would really, really appreciate that. You know, obviously as a community of women, of LGBTQ plus members, of moms, of allies. You know, actually I was gonna move on to this. I had to say the mom piece for a minute. So I just I have to talk about Sloane because she's oh. insanely adorable. And I know you could talk about her all day like, end to end. But like, how do you think your life, how has your life changed the most since you became a mom? She is such a light. I never
1: like I love my wife so much. I hate spending two seconds without her. But just give that time. I never thought, I know, I never thought I could love someone as much as I do my little girl. And she is just so full of life. She's just, you know, I I think it's so interesting when you and I grew up, you always talk about, hey, I want to be a pro athlete. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a policewoman. Mm -hmm. I think for my wife and I, not I think, I know, I want to create a place in our home where she knows how to be kind, how to be compassionate, how to be accepting. Mm -hmm. And these are the things, you know, when when someone asks her, what do you want to be? I want her to say that. I don't want her to be this idea of something that's just a job. Like, I want her to really see how hard her two moms work to fight for a better place for her and that we're two working moms that You know, I talk to you about this all the time, like the whole mom guilt thing. But like she's going to see the passion and drive we have for this country, this community, for women. And I'm hoping that ignites something in her to continue to serve her her family, her community in the same way her two moms did. And by doing that, I need to really make sure she sees – the good in people and i want to create a really like kind and loving human that has so much to offer and give to this world because we need better people like in this world we need good people 100% and i want to provide that to her i want her to have all the tools to go make all of these wonderful decisions that she gets to have when she continues to get older and my job is to really create the space where i don't have to sit down and say hey sweetie you know your brother is gonna have all of these opportunities and you're gonna have to fight like hell just to have the same as him like you're gonna have to fight twice as hard like i don't want that for her like i have to keep fighting and grinding so she has the
0: same opportunities as her counterpart i think the most amazing thing about being a mom is when you realize as much as you think you're going to teach them, they teach you. Oh, 100%. I mean, my boys, like, they're always telling me, like, how it's going to be and what we need to do. <laughs> and and ultimately, like, it's amazing because you realize, I mean, these are real humans with, like, real feelings and opinions. And we're, you know, we do everything we can to give them, you know, the best chance, you know, the ways in which they can, you know, make the right decisions. And to your point, be kind and be generous and all those things. But it's amazing how much I feel like I've actually learned from my kids. Mm. And, and that's something that's been quite humbling as a parent and continues to be. All right. Well, listen, um, one thing that I just want to make sure that we hit here, because we we started at the beginning talking about this amazing win for women's equality in sports that you played a huge role in. We also referenced the fact that you probably won't benefit and and ultimately you're, you know, you really did something quite amazing. And and you and many mm-hmm. kind of really set the stage for all the, the little girls that are coming up behind you. But what is next for Ashlyn?
1: You know, I think for myself and my wife, like I really want to continue to put myself out there in terms of being in front of a camera, being a spokesperson for women in general and, and for our community. You know, there's a lot of things that I want to do that I've never had time to do because I had to sacrifice everything to be the best at my craft. I find so much joy and peace knowing that I finally get to try new things and I get to start the process all over again of trying anew and maybe failing. But I want to do the things I never had the time to do showing up for friends, showing up for my family. I've missed every wedding, every birthday, every graduation, like everything I can ever imagine. I I have been completely shut off from the world to be the best at what I do. And I'm looking forward to just showing up for the people I love the most, taking my kid to school. I'm never going to make probably the money that I make now, but I want to just enjoy doing
0: what, whatever it is that, Fires my passion well, it, to it's kind of like there's another chapter for ashlyn and i'm I'm going to be very excited to watch that chapter now before we close you know the name of the pod is tell me what you really think so i'm going to throw some questions out to you pretty quickly oh, and you're going to answer okay. them you have to tell me what you really italicize really think okay don't feel nervous about it and you don't feel you are not afraid of failure so this should be easy for you okay okay number one quick answers if you can but like you know just to the point What gets you out of bed in the morning? My family. What keeps you up at night? Fighting for women's equality. Mm -hmm. Good answer there. What's the biggest way Sloan has changed you? Now, you kind of answered that, but now you have to go a little deeper. Biggest way Sloan has changed you? Uh, Patience. A hundred percent. She has helped me understand patience, and
1: I don't have much of it, so... Patience would be the highest up on my
0: list. Wait till she's 13. What's the big, (laughs) if you could give 12-year-old Ashlyn one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Just be you because no one else can play your part better than you can. I feel like as a kid, I definitely was trying to fit into a bunch of different crowds because we've had this conversation. I never saw people who looked like me. Mm -hmm. Um, So just be you and be confident in being you. New Jersey or Florida? Florida. Mm.
0: If you told me Brooklyn, come on. New Jersey? <sighs> all right. Come on. Pam. I mean, that's where. Okay. All right. Brooklyn or Florida? Let's do a do-over. Brooklyn. All right. Love that. Brooklyn. Tom Brown or Balenciaga.
1: <gasps>
0: that is harsh. It's so good though. You can't do street with formal wear. C-
1: they not even. A- I'm asking
0: the questions. You know, if you want to do your own rapid fire back to me, oh, like God. that's all good. But I, I have the mic.
1: <laughs> Balenciaga. 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 Love
0: it. Ashlyn, a big thank you for being here and being part of my podcast. But I also want to thank you for being honest, literally, and for being the advocate that you have always been and continue to be. You're the top of my list. You're the top of your game. Keep doing what you're doing. And I can't wait to hang out with you in Brooklyn.
1: Yes. Thanks for having me, Pam. I love spending time with you guys. So
0: You too. um, More to come. So good to see you. So good to see you. Tell me what you really think is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. I'm Pam drucker